0: Hey, welcome to episode 11 of Trail Society. I am Corinne Malcolm. I'm I'm Keely Heminger. I can't say my
1: own name today. And I'm Hilary Allen.
0: And we're all so freaking tired. (laughs) Um, Because it's the end of the year and life, as we've all just been talking about before we officially started recording, was that today is just, Today, yesterday, tomorrow, it's just been so busy getting last minute things in. I was legit just at Keeley's house, driving my way north to the in-laws where there was not one dog or two dogs. There were six dogs bombing around Keeley's house for the weekend. It was absolute insanity in all the best ways possible, but we're all exhausted, I think.
1: Yeah, I was actually so I was watching two puppies for a friend who were under the age of eight months. And so I think I averaged five hours of sleep for the past five days. And yesterday I got a 30 minute run squeezed into my day. And I think I fell asleep during it on the trails. I've never closed my eyes during a run before, but I felt myself like actually closing my eyes. I've I have only think done maybe that our next pacing.
2: episode should be sleep
1: hygiene
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and hallucin- yeah. hallucination while running, sleep-deprived. Seriously, but no, so it made
1: good. me remember that like, hey, I've not been sleeping, so let's not push it. Let's keep it super easy.
0: Yeah, burning burning the candles on both ends, I think, has been the theme to a lot of people's 2021s. kind of diving into news and results kind of from the last week in that same vein. A great one that I think, I don't know if it was Keely or Hillary that you pulled out, was Allie Ostrander leaving her contract with Brooks and kind of her, her just being really honest and vulnerable and open about making this decision. And I'm kind of wondering if you, if either one of you have any like feelings or thoughts about, you know, her kind of making that, making that stand on, on Instagram.
2: Yeah, I can, I can chime in. Cause it's something I've, I've followed Allie for a while just because, you know, she was a monster at, you know, the Mount marathon in Alaska. She's like an incredible athlete and, um, I just respect her a great deal for what you mentioned is her vulnerability and, you know, not beating around the bush that, you know, she has prioritized think people will link to it in the show notes, but, um, you know, her words that she's prioritized her athletic performance over her physical health. And she finally reached a breaking point. And I think that's really, that's awesome. And it kind of goes in, um, you know, we've mentioned this, uh, theme several times in the past few episodes and yeah, I think it's really cool to have, um, women, uh, people in general kind of leading the way and, and showing us that, you know, there, there is a breaking point and, um, you know, mental and physical health matters over athletic performance.
1: Yeah. And I think there's, there's going to be a point where you have to answer that hard question of, do I keep pushing myself in this way and being very detrimental to my health or do I stop and take a step back and prioritize my health before, like this perceived sense of accomplishment or performance that I can get by staying a professional runner. And she took the hard answer, but like the right one. And I commend her for that.
0: Yeah. I don't think it was an easy decision by any means. And she's had the support of Brooks through, you know, through like, they, they encouraged her to go to treatment this, this past summer for um, her eating disorder. And I think that was a really, I don't know. I think it's just, I hope that young people in the sport, um, men, women, non-binary individuals who are struggling, like can look at Allie and look at her story and, and look at all the stories that are being shared and say, Hey, like I can see myself in this person and I don't know, make changes or realize that you're, you're more important than you're running. And I think that's kind of what Allie realized that like her, her health and well being was in fact way more important than a contract.
1: Yeah. And and she was the second story for this year to come out and kind of reemphasize that point for a female audience and the first one being Molly Seidel for the marathon, right? Cause she kind of was this phenom coming out of Notre Dame and decided to forego a professional running contract out of there to also prioritize her health. And now she just came back into the scene, you know, a couple of years uh, later and is absolutely crushing it and got a bronze medal at the Olympics. So
0: There's a path forward if you take care of yourself. So, and this isn't just an interesting time of year. We're going to get lots of announcements over the next couple of weeks from athletes, um, either re-signing with their current sponsors, because most people are on a one to a three-year contract. So some people are in the midst of a contract, but it's the end of the year. So lots of contracts will be changing. Um, So I'm sure we'll have some news over the coming weeks with athletes and brands kind of stepping up, particularly in the trail scene, You know, looking to some companies to make some make some changes and looking to some athletes probably to make some changes. So it'll be kind of cool to see how it all shakes loose come January. Um, I think we've got some big, exciting news as a free trail family. And I'm wondering if, uh, Keely, because you've run this race, because I've chased you around in the Hills (laughs) of this race, I'm wondering if you can uh, give the listeners a little insight into what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. So free trail, um, in partnership with daybreak racing, Acquired the Gorge Waterfalls 100K and 50K, which is in my backyard, and it runs through the beautiful Columbia River Gorge outside of Portland, Oregon. And they're revamping it to be a different course than when Corinne and I ran it, but we ran it like four or five years ago now, uh, as our as both of our first 100K. And Corinne was chasing me for the last like 10K, um, and it was miserable. Um, And we both (laughs) definitely were like crunching our toenails and pushing ourselves, but not running any faster than the other, and just kind of moving together through the the trail. But anyways, it is a really cool race. Um, The trails out there are really precious to me, obviously, because I live here, but also because there was a huge fire a couple of years ago that really destroyed all of the trails out there. And after years and years of trail work, we finally got the Gorge Trail, the Gorge 400 Trail, which is where this is ran for most of the race back to like working order with the help of all the communities around Portland. And so I think this is like a really good celebration of like the rebirth of the gorge to have this race put on again, especially now put on with Dylan, who isn't local in Portland and day racing. Who's great in the Pacific Northwest and make it just this really cool party for the, for the Portland and us communities to come and come and party.
0: Yeah. I think it's going to be really cool. It's on my birthday. I'm really bummed that I won't be running it. It was on my birthday in 2016 when Keely and I ran it. So I celebrated my birthday the whole time. (laughs) Um, But I'm bummed that I will not be there. I will be on my belated honeymoon during, during daybreak or during a daybreak in free trails, gorge waterfalls, hundred K weekend, but it should be a party. There should still be some spots, um, available. So sign up. Yep, yeah. Um, we've got friends and athletes that will be there running it. And I think there's going to be some really cool events coming down the pipeline, um, that we're going to help with, um, alongside free trail in the build up to the race. So keep your eyes and ears open.
1: Yeah. And I'll be there at the finish line with Jade. So if you've never seen Jade, <sighs> You'll see her if finish.
0: Here's your chance. <laughs> maybe,
2: I'll, maybe that's a motivation for me to go. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Heck yeah. Um, and I guess kind of big, my big takeaway from racing in the past two weeks was obviously desert solstice happened. It's this, this, is a slow time of year for racing, right? Like most things are resetting for the year. It's kind of the slow calendar phase, but desert solstice, which happens every year, um, is a 24 hour track event it's a really good opportunity to qualify for the 24 hour world's teams. Um, and we saw Camille Heron break her own American track, hundred mile record, lowering it to 1321. That's pretty darn fast. It's not as fast as her, like all surfaces record, which is under 13 hours. Um, but that's a lot of loops around a track, um, which is insane. And then I think maybe more impressively was Pam Smith's run. And I love, I love Pam Smith. I hope to be Pam Smith when I grow up. Um, set age group records um in the 45 to 49 year old um division for for American records on the track and the 50 mile in 640 in the 100k in 821 and in the 100 mile at 1515 which is just like if I can ever run that fast as a master I will be whew, just like very very excited.
1: Yeah, that is super impressive. I don't know if I've broken. I think I've barely ran that um as a 50 mile let alone 100 miles so that's yeah. really
0: moving. Yeah. So insanely, insanely fast. And then last bit of results that I pulled was um Rachel Spaulding. Um, Hellgate happened um just the other week. And Hellgate hundred k is like a mean east coast race. It starts at midnight. The it's it's known for having horrendous conditions, like snowy, very, 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 very cold. Um, and uh, Rachel ran a really great race. She broke Leah Yingling, friend of the pod, um, her previous course record on the course, and she crashed the men's podium as well, which is really, really, really cool. So, um, big shout out to Rachel Spalding in that really great run at uh, the Hellgate Hundred. They call it the Hundred K Plus because I think it's technically a little over a hundred K. Sixty-six
1: point six. 6. It's, okay, it's so literally evil.
0: It's, it's it's literally evil. I've I've it's been on my bucket list, but. <clears throat> I hope the year I do it it's like snowy and really really horrible. <laughs>
2: Gosh. I have more to the ambiance. Um but there's another piece of news too. Um super big news for uh our co-host and fearless leader Corinne. Um you're an author now. Uh and I just want to be a super fan girl and ask you about it. Um yeah, what basically what is what is it? Do you have you, I mean, I have a, I don't have a picture of the new, the new book. I have the old one, but uh, yeah. Tell us about it. What, what exactly did you write? Um, I mean, anything you want, I feel like.
0: And I don't have the author's copy yet either. So they're, they're supposedly getting shipped to Bellingham so I can send them out to my athletes and that kind of thing. Um, but I, alongside, um, my colleague, Jason Coop, and then Jim Rutberg, who's brilliant. I think he does. Jim, Jim is like an expert ghost writer. I want to write everything with Jim going forward. Um, sat down and we wrote the second edition of Jason Coop and Jim Rutberg's original training essentials for the ultra for ultra running, which I think is a good staple for many coaches out there or many athletes out there. It's really just kind of a, a big reference guide in a lot of ways, um, to think about training and racing, but this one is even bigger. I think it's over 500 pages long, um, which is a lot, a lot of words. And we added whole chapters to it. We beefed up old sections that didn't get as much love before. Like there's now a strength training session or section, which there wasn't one at all. In the initial one, there was like a thousand words, maybe that said like, if you want to run fast, you probably need to run a lot. Um, so we did that some more justice came back, came back at it with some more strength training information. Wrote an entire section on environmental physiology. So heat acclimation and altitude acclimation, and then wrote, I got to write the women's section as well. So just kind of like a women's physiology section, um, which was really, really cool to add that voice to the book. Um, It was a fun project. So like the only section that's quote unquote in my voice is the women's section. And then everything else I wrote kind of was written in a, in a unifying voice so that the book flows as well as possible. So um, that was kind of a fun, I mean, it's in, in a lot of ways it's in Jason's voice because he's the lead author on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Jim and I really like took a good stab at ghostwriting there and came, came away with some big wins as far as like making sure the voice of the book was, uh, really put together.
1: Yeah. But, what was your, what was your favorite part about the women's section? Like what is one of the highlighting chapters if you had to pick one?
0: So the women's section stuff that was really cool was, more than anything, um, well, one, I got to have Nick Tiller and Stephanie Howe go through it and try to rip it apart and like come back to the table and make sure that it's as good as possible. So that I think that's really cool that we had two really brilliant um PhDs go through the entire book and do like a, a really thorough scientific review to be like, Hey, is this the best reference for this? Or hey, yeah. like we actually think this should be phrased this way. And and I could there were times where I was like, yes, hundred percent. And there are times where I was like, no. And that's not what I mean. Like, this is what I mean. Um, so it was a really cool and very scary process to do that. Yeah. And we're, we're obviously
1: fans of Nick Tiller. We, quote yeah. his work all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah. So really, really cool to get to work with Nick Tiller on that. Um, but no, I think, I think th- there shouldn't be anything in the book that surprises you. Right. Like, um, the women's section in a lot of ways is, is all about the individual, right? Like we talk about what we know currently, But a lot of it's going to be what we've, we've stressed on the show here, which is that the individual really matters there, that there's not machine, they're trying to bring machine learning into this. They're trying to bring AI and, and be smarter than us, but with how much we know about the individual variability of every single woman between cycles or anyone who has a menstrual cycle between cycles, or even your own, your own cycle cycle to cycle is so variable that it's really about the individual, um, and then I think my other favorite part was actually getting to all the graphs in the book are done, all the art in the book is done by Abby Hall. So a really good friend of ours. And I got to make these scribbles, these horrible, horrible scribbles of, of like flow charts of how I wanted to explain the hierarchy of altitude acclimation or the hierarchy of heat acclimation. Like how can you, what is, what are the best steps for you? Type of thing. And I drew them out. And they were pretty rough. And then I got to turn them over to Abby and let her work her creative genius on it and like give her just enough, like give her enough information so that she understands how it's supposed to flow and like my vision for it. And then came back and like created these really, really cool I um, flow charts for the book. So I think that's, that's
1: so cool. <clears throat> it was a
0: group very much a group effort but it feels wild to be like on amazon um yeah, with yeah book, i remember like, talking i remember
1: talking to abby before states and she was talking about how she loved working with you guys and and was <coughs> able to combine her passion for running and her like expertise in art and bring like your illustrations to life and it was really cool to talk to her about that and like her thought process behind it um yeah that's so that was cool. cool i'm excited to see them another thing is is like i feel like right now There's a lot of trending posts going on around female menstrual cycle physiology and hormonal changes and how they impact VO2 max or how they impact metabolic parameters and all these things. And all the studies right now are finding that there's not a trend with when you average across the whole mean, right? Like when you look at the population in these studies, there's not, there's not really an effect of menstrual cycle phase on these parameters. But if you take a deeper dive into those graphs, to your point, Corinne, you're seeing like high individual variation, which is really just like emphasizing the need for uh like a, an individualized approach to training around these cycles and these hormones and yeah it's it's been a very timely topic so I'm really excited to read the book.
0: Yeah, it should be good. And it's one of those things too where it's like you can it's not that you need to read it cover to cover. There's going to be sections that might not speak to you at all and that's that's great and fine and there's going to be sections that you're going to want to skip ahead to. There's no there's no need to read it in a specific order which I think is which I think is really cool. So it was a large labor of love. But it is out into the world now. And, uh, you know, hopefully this means that I get to do some more writing projects um, down the road. And I hope that we don't have to write a third edition for like a very, very long time.
1: <laughs>
0: so fingers crossed on that one. The science holds and nothing crazy happens. Um, a little bit there. But um, so enough, enough about me. Um, we're coming to the end of a, a year. This will be our last show for 2021. We're only a few days away from the new year and it's a time of reflection, I think for all of us, right? Like you're thinking about what did you do this year? How did things go? And it's also a time to start thinking about the possibilities for 2022. I know with my athletes, that's all we've been talking about for the last month is what are we racing in 2022? What is coming down the pipeline? And so we wanted to to talk today about the importance of taking the time to set big goals and to set goals in general and what that might look like. So before we dive into that though, we're gonna talk about, I don't know, just like how do you guys feel about the end of 2021? Can anyone, does anyone have like a summary statement of 2021 or like an opinion about 2021? Like what what are you taking away from the year? That's a big question. I know it's a
2: really big question, Corinne. Uh I don't know. <laughs> Unexpected. I mean. Yeah. Like my year, it was definitely not a typical year. I feel like many people's, but from a racing perspective, from an injury perspective, it was just very unexpected. I felt like I was kind of like thrown in a washing machine and just like turned around for a good bit. And then somehow I got spit out and I was like, oh, okay, here we are.
1: And now it's over. (laughs) This year felt like endless possibilities, but no possibilities. (laughs) so it's like it's like you have so much time to reflect and think about future possibilities and you can think of all of these things to do and you're constantly changing your mind and thinking of new things but at the end of the day like not many of them come to fruition and I feel like that's kind of how my years felt it's just like you're spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and like you're not going anywhere and it's just been kind of chaotic I think
0: yeah, I get that. I get that. My 2021, 2021 was also just kind of like, well, I didn't race at all. So it was a very different year for me, um, just dealing with a really long-term injury. But I think talking to athletes over the past you know month or two about like kind of, yeah, summarizing their years was that I think a lot of us forgot that although we're quote unquote, like sort of out of a pandemic, it's, it's still, it wasn't normal, right? And so I think a lot of people, maybe you're going back to the office, maybe you're, you are um, I don't know, job stuff has changed. Maybe you left your job and you're pursuing something totally new or or you got laid off and you're still looking for a new job. Like it's been a year where it's quote unquote supposed to have been normal, but it still wasn't. And so I've got a lot of athletes who just I think we're all tired. We're just tired because it's been a year with more mental drain than I think we allowed it to have or like gave it the bandwidth to have. So I'm, I'm approaching the end of 2021, trying to encourage athletes to, I don't know, look at, look at the past year with like some self-compassion because it's been hard for a lot of people. So you're not, you're not alone in that.
1: I think that's the key is like giving yourself grace to realize that the year was not normal. And so if you don't feel like you were your normal self or your most productive or whatever, you measure your success off of like, give yourself some grace and realize that that's okay.
0: Yeah. And then I think let's talk about you all, the listening audience here as we're entering this new year and we're reflecting on the, the potential shit storm of 2021, you know, you're getting years in review from your gadgets, from your apps, you know, saying how far did you run? How much vert did you do? How many activities did you take? How, what was your longest streak of activity? All these things, but there's also this like holistic need to kind of reflect on a year and what you're going to do next year. And so with that in mind, we thought this would be a really great opportunity again to talk about goal setting and hopefully distilling that for you in as to why goals are important, but also providing some framework of how you can tackle a year a year goal, a goal for twenty twenty two, or a big big goal that's you know maybe it's three or four years out. So, Keely, I know as soon as we brought up this topic, you started diving into the literature. Right? You're like, okay, what can we cite? What are our sources here? So I'm wondering. If from what you've read, is there a consensus on the general importance of goals and why we should be setting them?
1: Yeah, so there's definitely a general consensus, and that that general consensus is that they do work and they are a low cost, effective way to keep people accountable to whatever goals they want. Um, and this ranges from things like patient to doctor goals for treatments of diseases to parent-child goals for disciplinary tactics to goals for like health and diet improvements and activity level improvements. Um, and it, and it's really just all like ways to hold people accountable. Um, and in one specific study, they were finding that when people improved their overall life habits and made these concrete goals, they actually had like higher improved labor rates and they were increased, like their, their rate of increase in jobs was, was up. And so like, these are all just ways to hold yourself accountable, to goals that you set and actually actually reach them. And I think it's cool that they they cite them as low cost ways because I mean they are. They're free.
0: <laughs> low cost, minim, <laughs> minimally invasive, right? Minimally invasive. Yeah. That's but
1: they definitely good. can seem big and scary, I feel like, especially like goals that we're talking about. Cause a lot of the literature, as you guys can expect, is on short-term goals. So they're a lot more like tangible within the short term. It's like a goal maybe of every day. I want to increase the amount of greens I eat. And so they have a reminder that tells them about their goal every day. And this is increasing their ability to eat the greens every day. But I mean, our goals sometimes are like three or four years out, like you were saying, Corinne. And I feel like those can seem very daunting.
0: Yeah. So I think that's great. I think that's, that's exactly what we're going to get at here. So goals are, they're big and scary. Right, and they can be really macro and nebulous and hard to sometimes wrap your brain around. It, particularly if it's yeah an Olympic cycle or you want to run a hundred in twenty twenty five or whatever it might be. Right, like it's you're maybe you're starting at a five k right now. So these goals can be really really big, and we can think long term about them. These big mac, macro things, but I think what we do right is we can make them into micro, bite sized goals, really actionable chunks, like eating your greens every day and giving yourself a gold star but first we got to name that big goal, right? So how do we go about naming a goal? Kind of what's step one?
2: Um, yeah, so I think step one, I mean, you know, if you're, it's kind of uh, a bit like Goldilocks, right? I, I feel like you're choosing one that's just right. Something that's not too big. Um, because if you kind of come up with this, it's okay to have these audacious goals, but if it's too big. The likelihood of you being able to accomplish them, um, at least short-term can be a bit low So we want to set us, set ourselves up for success. Um, so you want to choose a big goal, but be okay to like pick a big goal, but you can kind of pick maybe little goals to get you there. Um, but I think kind of breaking it down and kind of, how I actually kind of go about it is I try to look at weaknesses, things that I want to improve upon. And then I kind of start by setting a mini goal there that could lead me up to a big goal.
0: Yeah, so I think that's that combination, right? Of kind of step one and step two. I think step one has to be naming that big goal, right? And maybe you don't know what that goal is and that, that's okay. You, you don't necessarily need to have that big goal right now. Maybe the best, the best, biggest goal you can set right now is you signed up for a 50K in March. And that's all you have to do. Okay. That, that can be your big goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're setting, if you're setting a goal, like, I don't know, um, I want to be top 10 at Western States, right. Or I want to run a hundred miles and I want to finish a hundred mile race. Cause I've never done it before. That's, that's, that is your big goal. Right. And then as Hilly just mentioned, what are those actionable pieces that are going to get you to your big goal? So that's what I, that's what I feel like, you know, I had to do with coaching. So I think naming that goal makes a huge difference, right? Tell your support system, tell your significant other, tell your, um, tell your coach, right? Like I remember walking out of a national elite group training camp as a high schooler. And I said, I think I want to go to the Olympics. And like, it had been stewing inside of me for a long time. And like, you know, I'm like, I don't know, probably 17 or 18. And I was like, okay, that's my goal. That's my big, long, scary goal is that I want to go to the Olympics. Well, if that's what I thought about every single day, that's like an impossible goal. But if I thought about, okay, what's the pipeline, what is from here as this like, you know, national nationally recognized high school Nordic skier to Olympics, right? Like, and then you can make those actionable chunks as small, you know, as a, as a, you know, six months from now, or as big as a, okay, what am I doing? next year, the year after that, in five years, in 10 years, et cetera. So actionable chunks are really important. And so I think what that means is that step two, that's like identifying the things you need to do in order to accomplish your big goal. So as a coach, or even as an individual, I'm wondering how do you guys do that for yourself? If you've got a big season goal, how do you then go like about setting the actionable pieces of it?
2: Yeah, and I just wanted to reiterate what what Corinne said. It's um, speaking the goal out loud. I think is so important, and for me and probably Corinne too, obviously probably Keeley, but I think saying it out loud, but then also writing it down. I feel like writing it down and having a plan. So step one, like naming it, and then step two kind of comes really right after. So I go and I start to write down things, like how am I going to piece this goal together? What are these actionable changes that I can put into place? So one of my weaknesses, just because I would rather, uh, you know, if I were to choose, um, you know, go out and put in big days in the mountains, but I still need to work on speed. So like pure speed, right? That's a, that's a weakness that I start with. So a goal is if I want to get faster. So I can either pick like a small goal, his, you know, a loop that I normally run and in X number of weeks or months kind of time trial it and see if I can improve. So something just as simple as that, or um, whether it's setting a goal for, like a runnable 50 K that I've maybe run before. And I want to improve my time. So kind of working then with my coach to set in key workouts that I can do to work on that speed. Um, so that's kind of an example that, that I would start with, with one of my, uh,
1: what I see as a weakness. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think from like a coaching perspective, like this is a conversation you can have with your athletes, right? So they, they pick it, they pick a race and you can kind of help them, channel out or plan out the rest of that timeline. So what kind of races will they need to accomplish or should they run in order to prepare for that pinnacle race? What kind of runs should they do in training to prepare for that race? And like, what kind of like training block goals are there? Right. So like maybe this first trunk of training is getting the strength up. You're going to focus on strength, running economy, VO two max intervals, all these things. And you're going to give them that as their goal. Right. And then maybe the next one is like, Getting used to the kind of train you're training on, and like getting used to running long days in that kind of train, that kind of mountainous train, the elevation. And like that's the goal of that training block and 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 verbalizing these to your athletes so that they they know they want to run this race in september, but but that race is so far off that like your point previously, Hillary, is like you can get lost along the way. So if you can plan it out to them to have these smaller goals within there that are really, really specific to the race. Um, that's kind of where I start. And so that they have like these short-term goals to to focus on instead of the long-term.
0: Yeah. And those those goals can be like really like almost mini terms, right? Uh, those little blocks, like the like what is the, I find with athletes and I find it myself, like I need to know the purpose of why I'm doing what I'm doing. So like, what's the purpose of the training that I'm doing right now in context to my big goal? Oh, I'm building this foundation or, oh, I'm working on this specific weakness because I have time right now to do it well in advance of the race or well in advance of what I need to do for specificity's sake to get ready for the race. So I think being able to name why you're doing what you're doing in that context gives a lot of it gives more purpose to that block. So that it allows those like mini-term goals, those that four week, that six week, whatever it is those those check-ins, it gives that time frame a very specific purpose. And that, I think that allows you to focus on it, allows you to be really present in that time period. And then you can have, you know, even, you know, like the daily tasks type of thing from there, right. Where you're like, this is what I need to do today or this week or whatnot. You can get really, really small there to give yourself gold stars as many times a day as you need. Totally. Love that, it,
1: the gold stars. <laughs> yeah. And I think it like makes you lift off the blinders, right? Because I think if you have this audacious goal, you can be running with blinders on for so long and not bother to look around. But if you have these short-term goals, you're almost forced to look up every once in a while and reevaluate like, Oh, how am I feeling after this goal? And how am I feeling after this goal? Instead of just like, I'm going to burrow as f- for long as I can, as as hard as I can to no avail until I get to this big goal. And, and that's just not great for long-term success. And so I think really emphasizing these short-term goals in, as a way for them to contextualize like the long-term goal is just a way to keep them them healthy and sane as well.
0: Yeah, that puts so much pressure on the big goal, right, as well, right? If your only focus every single day is like, well, I'm running this hundred mile race or I'm running, I'm running this 50K race or whatever it is. And that's your own, that's, you got your blinders on and that's all you're thinking about. That's a lot of pressure on this one moment that has a lot of uncontrollables in it. And so I think if you can have this like being in it, being in the moment, every day or every week or every block, all of a sudden, each of those things matter as much, which then in turn, I think should take pressure off of the big day, right? That's like some sports psychology for you is that if, if you put, if you know that this, you know, if you say that this workout matter is really important or this resting today is really important or this long run, if you have intentional, like if you have intentional focus for these mini goals, I think all of a sudden when you get to the start line, it's like, well, I've done the work. Mm-hmm. I did the things yep. I've checked all the boxes. And today on my race, I'm going to check the boxes again. And so all of a sudden it's like, it's not this big, scary goal anymore. It's these little actionable things that you are more than capable of accomplishing. I mean, you stack mm-hmm. them all on top of each other. Like you have built a house. Hilly and I have talked about this. We're just putting <laughs> another brick in the wall, right? The purpose <laughs> yeah. of today, we're putting another brick in the wall, building that foundation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that creates, I think, the mental, like the mental space, on event day, or on big workout, big scary workout day, or whatever it is, to be to like to take a chance on that like that one moment.
2: And totally. I think to to mimic what Corinne was saying, another like sports psychology is something that I talk about with my sports psychologist is focusing on the controllables. So it's like, what can you do today to make sure that this is a great workout? What can you control? And you know, that's maybe mentally right between the ears, but then also getting good sleep, um, you know, eating before the workout or eating during, depending on how long it is. Um, so things like that. Uh, and again, it can just kind of, then you've ticked the boxes, you've focused on what you can control now. So then when the big goal comes, the, the, you know, the D day, so to speak, um, you can kind of practice those same, same techniques. Totally.
1: And that'll give you like grace to enjoy the process along the way as well. If you're, if you're doing it because you have these little goals and you're not focusing all of your energy just on one goal, like you're going to have to enjoy the process along the way so that you can reach those little goals. Um, otherwise I feel like we can get wrapped up so much in these big goals that we forget like why we do this in the first place. And all of a sudden we find ourselves at the finish line of our big audacious goal. And we're looking for more and we're not happy with it because we We didn't actually enjoy the process to get there, and we didn't we didn't even like evolve as a person and as an athlete to get there, and we're just there. And all of a sudden, we need another one, and then we'll need another one because it's going to be another ending finish line at that point. And yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's a slippery a slippery slope. But to kind of reiterate those points here, right? You've got you've got name your goal to start. Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna sit down, you're gonna name you're gonna name that big scary goal. Maybe it's a season goal, maybe it's a five year goal, whatever it is, you're gonna name that goal. Number two is you're gonna identify what do I need to be able to do to accomplish this goal? Is it, it's really Verdi or it's really fast and I prefer to be in the mountains, so I better get running or I need to be strong or I need to be able to eat for 15 to 20 hours or whatever it might be, right? Like what are the things that I need to do? And then it's like, okay, block goals, right? Like training or practices that you do throughout your day or throughout your week or throughout the month that align with being able to accomplish those tasks. So you get this really macro big goal and you can break it down smaller and smaller and smaller. And that gets us down to kind of like that daily grind more than anything. And like, let's face it, that daily grind is not always easy. Like even if you're giving yourself gold stars, like, yeah, I got so much sleep last night. Yeah. I drank more than one cup of water yesterday. Yes. Like I, I ate something besides cookies for breakfast, whatever it is, right? Like, you know, I give myself gold stars for a lot of things. Um, some that are very, like some things that are very not impressive, but that still doesn't mean that there aren't days that I sit at the trailhead for 20 minutes in my car, trying to build up the motivation to get out of my car. I'm going to get there, but sometimes I need to sit there for 20 minutes first. So I'm wondering like, how do you all like stick to it when it gets hard, right? Like how do you deal, deal with the daily grind? You know, the blinders are removed. You've got this big, long thing out in the distance that you're excited about, but you still have this daily grind. So what what do you do? In those moments when it gets hard, or how do you remind yourself that, like, or how? Yeah, is it okay to be unexcited? I don't know.
2: I think so. I think it's part of it, especially when you're kind of going after a big goal. I mean, you're trying to get, especially if you're going after something that's scary and hard. You know, there's going to be days when you when you just don't feel like it, when the motivation is waning, right? And it's kind of I use this technique where I ask myself, okay, well, this will this help me achieve my goal? Like, what does my body need? Kind of like mini check-ins. And if it's, and so- you know, I've done that too, where I'm just kind of like lagging. It was like, okay, I'm going to have another cup of coffee before I go out. Like I'm not quite ready yet. And then, and then I tell myself, I'm like, okay, like you're tired, right? This is a big training block. Um, and I give myself 10 minutes. If I go out the door and I still feel like crap, then I give myself permission to come home and I'm like, okay, maybe this is what I need today. This is maybe I need an extra day of rest. And then, you know, I talk with my coach and do that whole thing. But if I start to feel refreshed and kind of just you know like need a little bit of extra time to warm up then you know i can i can do it that day you know sometimes the extra anxiety comes on workout days and instead of like being scared to try i tell myself okay this is going to help me um to accomplish my goal i ask myself that question and then i give myself permission to you know not be perfect i'll control the controllables i'll give my best the day you know on that day and you know, we'll take it from there. It's exactly like what Corinne said. I use this analogy in my head so many times. I'm like a builder laying bricks one day at a time.
0: Little Bob, the builder over there. <laughs> Hillary, Bob, the builder, Alan, he'll build
1: a builder. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But sometimes you do have to take a step in, and look up to make sure you're building in the right direction. Right. So it's like, otherwise you might have a crooked house or whatever you're building. And I feel like I that's how this I, analogy. I do. Do you like it? <laughs> yeah. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I feel like that that's how I deal with the, the setbacks or even the positive runs, right? Is that sometimes I just take a step back to remind myself of the big, scary goal, that to Hillary's point, if I'm feeling really off in a day, but I need to get out for an eight mile run, but I just feel like complete garbage, I have to remind myself that actually this is a block that is in place for this big goal. And that if I don't put this one block down today, I have so many more blocks to put down that it will be okay. And then i think it's the same for like a really positive day is sometimes you might be feeling really really good and you're out there and you're running and you're like your goal for the day was to do a two-hour race simulation run but you feel amazing so you're like well i don't need to fuel today like i feel fine i don't need to really bring water like i'm just crushing it and then you have to take that step back and be like okay but let's take the blinders off of today and remember what the goal is and the goal is a race simulation for that race and even though i feel amazing today practicing fueling like I will during race day and practicing what like hydration is going to help me long-term, even though I feel like unstoppable today. And so I try to use it for both, um, in my experience. Yeah.
0: There's this saying of like, you know, like a winning, winning the workout. And I think when I think of like high school cross-country runners, winning the workout is like burying yourself to beat your teammates to the back to the school or whatnot. And that's not what we mean here. When I think of winning the workout in this context, I think of like, Success in this workout today is going for an easy run, like an easy aerobic doesn't matter run. My goal or the, the, like the purpose of today is to rest. Like, am I doing that? The purpose of today is to try do these intervals, and like, they might not be perfect. We're our own worst critics, so the likelihood is that they're better than we think than we thought they were. Like nine times out of ten, they're probably better than you thought they were. I like finish a workout constantly, and I'm like, that was garbage. I'm garbage, and then I go look at the data, and I'm like, oh, it hurt because I was running really hard. Like that happens sometimes. So I think it's like, yes, take the blinders off, take a step back, make sure your house isn't crooked, but also just like, I think you know, kind of to to Hilly's point is like, yeah, what's what is the what is the goal today? What is the purpose today? Can I do that? Am I doing that? But also like, you know, there's this idea too of like, we want these goals to be realistic, right? I, I don't, did you guys have to do smart goals growing up?
1: I think so, but I They're don't like, really remember what they are. I it only, sounds very familiar. I
0: only yeah. remember the first two letters of the acronym <laughs> <Let's> see, <laughs>
1: and what are it's they?
0: specific and measurable are the first two. And it might be like actionable is the third. I don't know, Maybe. but it's like, they, it all stood for something and you had to, you know, decided like, okay, my realistic. goal is specific. I bet real. I don't know. Then they're all the same. <laughs> Maybe they all mean <laughs> realistic. Um, so it's like, is it specific? Is it measurable? Right. Cause like goals can be really nebulous sometimes. And that's mm-hmm. hard to determine what is success then if there's nothing measurable or specific about it. So it's like, make these goals realistic, right? Like, I think this was probably a hilly suggestion, but like if you're starting a new routine, like maybe you're getting into the gym for the first time ever because it's winter and it's cold and it's dark, like very dark. And you are gonna, you're like, I'm gonna use this time to, to get strong ahead of spring running for summer or fall racing. Like, you know, bring, a, bring an accountability, accountability buddy, right? Like I'm gonna meet my friend at the gym at 6 a.m. So I have to get up to go, you know, be realistic have accountability, that coach, that friend, whoever it is. Like, I think those things are just like, so they sound so silly, but they're just so practical. Like, are there any other things, any other tricks that you guys use to kind of like meet those daily or weekly or whatever they are needs?
2: Yeah. The accountability is huge for me. I mean, uh, like I really like to run in the morning. Um, it it's never been a, like a problem for me, but in certain days, if I feel more tired or, you know, athletes who want to get used to kind of those early starts, if a race starts super early in the morning or really late at night, um, having that friend to meet them like an extra person to be like, okay, I can't bail because I need to meet my friend there. Um, but then also, you know, making it achievable. Like if I have this goal of going to the gym or running, early in the morning, I'm not going to do that seven days a week. You know, I have to start with a realistic number. So maybe start like with one time a week or two times a week and, um, kind of increase it from there. I know I kind of maybe get ahead of myself and I'm like, okay, i am all in on this goal. And then it just becomes too much. And then I'm tired and I don't want to do it anymore.
0: Yeah. That's the issue with new year's resolutions, right? (laughs) Everyone's going to sign up for that gym membership, but they're, there's no follow through. If there's no, you know, there's no accountability, there's no not a realistic goal set up for you.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think this, I would love to hear your guys' opinions around this, but I think this just really emphasizes the need for trusting your coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you need to be able to have this audacious goal and you need to be able to talk with your coach or whoever you, you plan your training out with and build these smaller goals. But then during it, you need to trust that they're building you for that goal and like trust the process and and I think that allows you to be a little bit better at executing the goal because you trust that they have that audacious goal in mind when they're having you do these smaller goals um but I I mean that's a big thing and I think you need to have those conversations with your coach so that you are both on the same page and that you trust that they know what your goals are um and so that they can get you there
0: yeah I I I say this thing not infrequently in which I believe that a a perfect training plan for you that you don't have buy-in in, like that you don't completely believe in, isn't going to work. Like say it's a hundred percent perfect for you. Like if you just did the workouts, you'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. But if you don't believe in it eh, versus a a plan, that's like 75 to 80% perfect for you. But you're like, I am in, I believe I like, I am so here for this that like, that's the program that's going to make you great. Like you have to have that buy-in it's the bot. Like I know for me personally, like as, as an athlete who works with a coach and as a coach who works with athletes, like that buy-in is so huge as far as like feeling good about the work that you're doing. So like have that conversation with whoever you're working with about, about your goals, about what you want to accomplish, ask questions, like be skeptical. I don't know. Like, I love a good question. Be like, Hey, I think I can take less rest days. And I'll be like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's figure out how many rest days are going to work for you. Let's, let's test some things. Let's try it. Like, you know, let's move some things around. But I think it's Mm -hmm. having those open, open conversations Mm -hmm. and naming that goal and executing on it goes a long way.
1: Yeah. And like, even... It will make such small goals feel a lot more important as well. For instance, if your goal is to run a 50K, but every 50K you've ever done, you've been awful at fueling and you've bonked during them, then if you and your coach are really open about talking about this is your problem, and that's going to be the goals of a lot of runs, then I think you're going to be more likely to to follow that um, if you've articulated that.
2: We're in kind of an off-season of racing, right? We've talked about off-season, but in ultra running we, there's races every every month of the year um Man, and, banderas
0: in like two weeks
2: <laughs> I know, and it's like starting again right like Bonkers. yeah it's crazy um and so how do we how do we as athletes but also you know as 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 coaches advising athletes prevent this kind of over racing and doing too much to achieve a goal, right? Like Keely, you mentioned several times of kind of, okay, like these mini goals to look up, but how do we, how do we kind of prevent like, okay, if we're pre- preparing for a hundred miler, well, then that means I need to do X number of 50 Ks or a 50 miler, like before the hundred miler. Um, how do we prevent that from, you know, getting too burdened down from these mini goals to lead up to the big goal so that we're not too tired when we reach the big goal day.
0: Uh-huh. I mean, I think that goes back to having that conversation with your coach, or if, if you're one of my athletes, like, you know, you know what I'll say, right? Like, it's like, I say yes to a lot of things, but I, I'm not afraid to say no, or I'm not afraid to come back to you and say, okay, what's the big goal? You know, cause I've got athletes who love racing, who love it. And it's like, okay, but what's our big goal? And it's like, obviously I want you to do things that make you happy and races that you're excited about. Like I'm all for practice races, but honestly you don't need them. Like you don't have to do them. I think they're helpful, but you don't have to do them. If it's, if it's cost prohibitive for you, if it's, you know, work and time prohibitive for you. Um, if you're not excited about the races that are available to you, you don't have to do a practice race, but more likely than not, I've got athletes who just like racing a lot. And so it's got, we've got to look at the season. I don't like it when athletes go race to race, right? Like I say, okay, let's look at 2022, 2023. What, what are we thinking, right? And you can get the FOMO of feeling like you need to be at every single race. But if your goal is to finish, you know, 800s in a year, like you can do that. But if your goal is to perform or to run your best at a certain race, then you have to be more conscious of those decisions. And so I think that's what you have to come, like, like ask yourself, if you're not working with a coach, what's my what's my real goal? What's my actual goal here? And, 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 and are the things that I'm deciding to do detrimental, or if you're working with a coach, you know, be like, you know, or, or if you're a coach yourself and you're dealing with this issue with athletes, like, I think just be really pragmatic about it. Right. Like what's what, let's look at the big picture, like bird's eye view. That's why you pay me. (laughs) Like what's the big goal here and how, like, and is this setting you up for success there? Or are, do we know that like doing this is risky in this moment and you're willing to take on that risk as an athlete? to know that you might not be set up as well as you could be for this big goal race. And that, that's on the athlete, right? But I think that like, yeah, having that person who's just going to be be honest with you and not be a yes man is really important.
1: Totally. And they found that the frequent racing, the frequent high intensity racing of these ultra endurance events might be what actually causes a lot of the negative impacts of ultra endurance racing and not necessarily the training. And so I think that even just that gives even more evidence to not racing just to race and not putting your body under this unnecessary stress just to like race the distance before another distance. And so I'm sure you guys can all resonate to this, but I mean, when I first started the sport, I thought, okay, I'm going to run a hundred K so therefore I must run a 50 K two months out or whatever it is, two and a half months out. And then therefore I must run a 50 mile six weeks out, five weeks out. And then I must run a hundred K. And I think over time you realize that training is not so linear And that we don't necessarily need to race those races to perform the best at a certain distance. Obviously to Corinne's point, you do want to get a training stimulus and you do want to get an aerobic stimulus and and see how your fitness is and get these tests along the way. That doesn't mean you need to run X, Y, and Z to, to run, to run the other race, you know? So it's like, it's not so linear.
0: Yeah. And I think that, yeah, you don't, you don't have, there's no one way to do ultra running, which is like the best part of our sport, right? Like, there's terrible sayings like there's a hundred ways to skin a cat. We're not skinning any cats. Do not worry. But there are a hundred ways to run a hundred miles successfully or a 50 K successfully. And what works for some person might not work for you. And, And we're in this weird, terribly weird sport where unlike even like the road marathon, the amount that you can do in training, that's like really good for you without being too much still leaves such a huge gap between that training distance and what you're going to do on race day. And that's just the beauty and the terribleness of our sport, right? Like, yes, most road marathoners are going to run at least up to 20 miles ahead of their road, ahead of their road marathon. That's only six miles. It's only 10 K that they've got to like figure out like what might happen. If you're running a 50 mile race, maybe you've never run over 30 miles before 31 miles before Like, like the amount of time and distance like gap that we have between training and racing Leaves a lot of unknowns on the table, and that's that is a pain of our sport. But it's also, I mean, I think that's why experience down the road just becomes so much more important in our, in our sport in in comparison, maybe to other distances. Um, but that's not a reason to go and run extra races. It's not a reason to run a half to run a hundred k before your hundred mile, or x or or multiple hundred k's or fifty miles before your hundred mile. Like there's no, you don't have to do any any of that. I had an athlete this year who ran, uh, her first ever 240 mile race at Moab. And it was technically her first ever hundred mile race finish as well, because she was the hundred that she'd been in before got canceled partway through. And so she had never technically, she, she'd run a hundred for like a, for a charity event. Like she put on her own hundred, which was amazing, but she didn't have a technical hundred mile race finish going into Moab 240. Like you don't, there's no one way to do it. Okay. Totally. So I think that that's important to recognize. Don't get caught up in the hype of someone else's race calendar. Mm-hmm. Like people, people burn out way too quick on the sport.
1: Yeah. And I think also don't be afraid of tackling like a 20 K trail race or a 30 K trail race or something really short that actually is not going to be very different than something you would do in training, but is going to give you that race feel as well as like that extra increase in your, um, effort level that you would do at a race so that it does turn into a good workout and a good race experience, but it's not going to leave you toasted, like running a 50 mile right before a hundred wood or running a hundred mile before a 240 mile wood. Um, there's, there's other ways to race. That doesn't mean you have to run an ultra every time.
0: Yeah. I, I praise be the like trail half marathons, right. Where it's like, I hate doing long intervals, but I'll, I'll pin a bib on and get my butt kicked in a trail half just because it's like, you get the race morning jitters, you get the pre-race breakfast in you, like you practice all those little steps you pin the bib on. And just by pinning a bib on anything that could go wrong will go wrong. So I think like, but, but it's a very low cost, right? It's a very low, low cost as far as like the damage that you do to your body, as opposed to doing you know, a multitude of 50 mile races in prep for a hundred. So that's, I I like that. I'm into that. Sign me up. I'm I'm coming to Portland. We'll do a trail
1: series. (laughs) Perfect.
0: Yeah. So we've got those daily, like, so we are, once again, we've named the goal, we figured out what we need to do to accomplish the goal. We've like looked at the micro micro daily goals We figured out how we're going to get out of our cars at trailheads on days where it's 30 degrees and raining because two of the three of us are in the Pacific Northwest and that's the reality. Um, what about executing the goal on race Day? Like obviously, there's a lot more uncontrollables on Race day. So, like, how can we go about being as successful as possible on race day?
2: Yeah, for like executing a big goal, like i it's scary, right? Because if you're if you prepared, you've had all these mini goals, now you're at the day. Like you're at this big, your big a race or you're just this big, scary goal that you've been thinking about for you know, all season or for a couple of years. Um, I mean, it's scary because it depends on a lot, right. It's hard to kind of, you know, judge your success and everything that you've been working on at one day. Right. It's, I mean, it's kind of unrealistic, but that's just like, that's just how it goes when we kind of come down to it. Um, especially for a race, like this is the day we've picked it now, now we go, um, you know, it depends on race conditions depends, you know, you have to have a bit of luck, you know, you don't get sick, your stomach doesn't go. Um, But I always go down to kind of mental strategies, Um, you know, before we talked about in the beginning is kind of controlling the controllables um, and what that what that means. Like if things like Corinne said, inevitably, when you pin on a bib, something will go wrong. I mean, I think literally in every race that I've had, nothing has gone perfectly. And that's kind of the point. Right. And so I think even when we've, when we have been practicing all along about controlling the controllables, what can you do to put your mind in the best place or even your body? Right. And so then the race day is just another opportunity to kind of tackle that and to, to problem solve. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the race day shouldn't be anything new. What I kept iterating to one of my athletes who had a race and over the past couple of months was that, This is no different than what you've been doing in training. So you've trained harder than this race. You've trained with the fueling you want for this race. You've trained on this kind of terrain and you've done all these things like without tapering and while you're like building your training and all these things are going to be way harder than race day. And so just remember that you've done this before and try to keep your mind at ease, knowing that you can do it and, and realize that like, you don't need to do anything new. Like you can just do what you've had work for you in the past And don't take this as a day to like try something totally new, but just treat it as something you've done before and that you should be confident that you can do now.
0: I dig it. You should, you should have done training. That is, that is harder. (laughs) Honestly, every time I do VO2 max work, which is like so non-specific to ultra running, right? Like we do it this time of year. It's far away from racing. It's kind of like, it's the opposite of, of, you know, like of, I, I come from a ski background, right? So it's the opposite order of training, really. Normally you'd be doing volume first and then... So vo 2 max work, right? Painful, brutal, terrible. Um, I find... I call it mental toughness training because I fear those workouts. I loathe those workouts. I tell my athletes, if you feel like quitting the workout, you're running the right intensity. Like that's how hard they should be. You should feel like the interval's not going to end and that you might not finish the workout. Like That is the right intensity for them. But what that means is that like, you know, like you've done stuff that's harder than the race. You've had long runs where your stomach was upset and things went sideways. And maybe you were in the bushes a lot. Great. That's hundred mile practice. Okay. Like I tell athletes that whenever I get like a negative comment from an athlete in the training, I'm like, well, that was, it's pretty good race practice, right? Like your stomach was upset and you had to take a bunch of poops, like could happen in a race. So might as well have gotten it done when you were out there today. So I think it's like one of those things where it's like, there are so many uncontrollables on race day. Control what you can, check those boxes, take care of yourself, right? There's a lot of stuff going on around you. I tell athletes this every single time. The best thing that you can do in a race is take care of yourself early so that you can have fun later. right? So drink your drink your fluids, eat your snacks. like don't run like a bat out of hell at the start unless that was part of our race plan, right? Okay, the gun goes off. Don't throw your race plan out the window as soon as the gun goes off. okay? So it's like take care of yourself. check the boxes just like you've been doing every single day. In practice, right? I did my sleeping, I did my eating, I did my drinking, I went to the bathroom, whatever it is. Like, you can give yourself those gold stars in these races as well. So, I think that that's something to remember. Take care of yourself early. Those are the controllables. Everything else is out of your control. You can't control the weather. My biathlon coach has always told me, you can't control the weather, but you can control what you had for dinner and what time you went to bed. And so, like, that's kind of what you have to lean into because let's face it, it's all running. So much can go wrong. And so exactly. like you can prep as well as possible, but that you still might not have your day. And that's just the nature yeah. of our sport.
2: I mean, I can't help but think of like you, Corinne, several years ago, like when you had multiple attempts of like your FKT and like what, you know, what so was that So long like?
0: ago. So long ago. <laughs>
2: it's
1: like a it's year. Like it's like a year.
0: It's like a year in the rear view, but it feels like it was five years ago. I know. <laughs> Yeah. So, what like, year
1: was it? Was it 2020?
0: It was 2020. Yeah. Pandemic. Pandemic. So for FKT those who year. don't know, it was uh, the Tahoe Rim Trail FKT. This long run around this lake. It was like pretty cool and stuff. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but uncontrollable. We had one of our worst wildfire years in the history of California. Um, I felt bad for all my friends who live up in Truckee and Tahoe City. Um, the air quality up there was horrendous for weeks on end. Um, and it, you know, it totally like just annihilated attempt after attempt, um, of even getting started on the trails. So by the time that I, um, actually ran the, the TRT FKT, I, uh, it was at the fourth attempt, I think. Yeah. Um, cause at one point I had scrapped doing it as an individual and Devin and I were going to do it unsupported together. And we drove up to Tahoe and got a hotel and then we woke up the next morning and the air quality was terrible. So by the time we were driving up for the what was the actual attempt I like looked at Devin and I was like you know I don't even care if I get the FKT anymore like I just want to start this thing and get back to Tahoe City like I want to finish it I texted Adam my coach that I told Devin that like you know kind of took the expectations off myself in a lot of ways but those were things I couldn't control like it was a longer taper than I wanted like it was super frustrating my motivation was like not not high but like I started, I gave myself like the grace to start and I had enough friends who agreed to come run with me in the darkness and it was fine. And I, and like, we ended ended up being a totally successful attempt. Like everything went too well, despite some mishaps out there. It was never quote unquote hard, um, which is a beautiful thing that rarely happens to any of us. And, uh, you have to hold on to those races or efforts when they, when they, when they, when they go that like quote unquote easily. Um, totally
1: because when yeah. they go sour you just have to remember like how far you've come as an athlete along the way and the progress you've made and all the joy you've had in the training along the way and that like nothing that actually happens on race day is going to take any of that away from you yeah
0: it doesn't it doesn't make you less of a person or less of a partner or a runner or a, a human um, like in great juxtaposition to my TRT was my 2019 UTMB attempt where I had a stomach bug and I puked for 60 miles and ultimately dropped out at mile 80 at champagne lock. I did the UTMB 80 miler where you just, you run to champagne lock and then drop out. And like, that was devastating to like, know I was going in fit. know I was going in strong and then like have this thing that was kind of in my control and kind of out of my control. Um, like I probably should have done less on race week type of thing, but um, yeah, like I, it shortened my season, like it was devastating. And at the same time, it's like, okay, like I know what I'm capable of. Like that wasn't my day. It happens like on to the next one, fortunately onto the next one. Mm-hmm. So I guess my last question to kind of wrap us up is that like, how often do you consciously do this? Like how often do you sit down with your journal, with your coach, with whomever, and like consciously set goals for yourself.
2: I mean, I almost do it daily. I I love I love writing and I love setting setting goals, like little mini mini things. So I'm an avid writer and so I write like to-do lists and just like little things that I want that I want to work on or improve upon and um, you know, specifically with my coach, Adam, you know, maybe I'm just like bugging him all the time. He's like, chill out, Hillary. (laughs) Um, so then thankfully I have another, um, (laughs) guy that I talked to, Matt, my uh, PT in the gym. So that's like one of my, one of my goals. Yes. I make goals in the off season. I actually think that's really important. So, um, like simple goals of like getting strong. So in, in our, um, in our gym, we do, I think many gyms do this, but deadlift December. So I'm working on like how like increasing my weight, how much I can, you know, increase my deadlift weight, trap bar deadlift, or just like a regular Romanian deadlift, single, single leg deadlift. Like it's really fun. And so kind of doing that from week to week and seeing these little things, they have like little gold plates that you can like put on to like, achieve a new, they're like one pound or five pounds. Sometimes I just stick the one pound on there to like make myself feel good.
0: But they're, they're quarter pound plates. We can get really nitpicky and add tiny little bits of weight to it.
2: Exactly. So that's my gold star, but, um, yeah, just things like that. I mean, I, I do it, you know, weekly, um, sometimes daily. Uh, and I think it's just a really, for me, it's really important. Um, you know, Checking
0: your foundation, you're making sure it's not going zigzaggy.
2: I love it. Mm-hmm. no mean tower of pizza. <laughs> I'm going to use
0: that from now on with all my athletes is your, how's your foundation?
1: <laughs> no, it's so good. I think in the off season, especially you really do need to remember those big audacious goals so that you don't overdo it in the off season. Um, and my off season this year is like kind of fueled by mantras or mantras, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and my current one is to get out of my mind and start thinking that my my left leg has been the one that's flared up because the ankle I broke when I sprained my ankle a couple of years ago, and he basically told me by the end of my off season, I want to, you to think about your left leg as your strongest leg, just as strong as your right leg. So that's like a good it's a good way to like try to switch the mind as well as like obviously work towards a goal because you want to be able to feel that way as well. So yeah, it's
0: like what can you do to make your ankle stronger? You're doing the, you're doing your exercises right? You're doing all your things.
1: And the yeah. belief too. I think that's huge. The belief is huge. Yeah. yeah. And the brain typically gets in the way. Ha, huh,
2: Weird. Mine too. <laughs> 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 um, but I also think like another personal one for like off season, right. I think we're just talking about that because we're, we're still kind of here in it. Um, for me, I, I also set like, I set goals to, to a weekly mileage that I don't want to surpass so to make myself okay like this is this is what I'm going to do. Like my goal is to run less and I yep. will set like a purposeful goal and a number that I'm like nope, like your Kelly needs this.
0: Kelly <laughs> needs this so I do the exact same thing. Badly.
1: Right? Yep. I do I do mm-hmm. um it's hard you know, if you have friends are, ask you to run and you have to be like
0: freaks. <laughs> I no, don't, I do not have this problem. <laughs> but also, I don't. Cor- I don't know why,
2: Corinne. You're awesome too, because like when I love how you say like about Strava, like and this is something I was doing too on a recovery run. Like I try to make it so you don't get any achievements. Like make it your slowest run if it's a recovery run. I freaking love that, and I'm just like,
0: yes, that was my goal. There was no little
2: stars. Like, get the
0: trending down a little. <laughs> yeah, it's like this is the slowest you ever run this route. Like yes,
2: yeah. heck, heck yeah, did it. it. Um, but yeah, stuff like that, are like making sure I take, you know, like rest days, like, you know, like, Oh, like this. Yeah. This is my goal. This number of this many rest days. And, um, yeah, that stuff's really important for me. Cause again, these are like the mini goals that kind of lead to more, um, long-term, you know, long-term success.
0: I dig it. So we're, I think that those check-ins are really important, right? Those daily to-do lists, those daily little, I've got, I bought myself a new planner, And my planner, I've got little daily, daily things that I'm checking off. I'm drinking my water because I am like a camel. I just don't hydrate ever. My kidneys are probably really upset. So, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to make little tiny actionable changes that like add up over time. Look at you drinking whatever mud. I'm not sure what that is. Um, (laughs) For those of you who are listening, Ellie just held up a water bottle that looks like it's full of dirt. So we're just going (laughs) to leave that there.
1: What is that? Why is it brown? It has like
2: good things in it. It helps me drink my water because it like doesn't taste just like water. So I've like added in some like little like nutrition supplements. So it looks really gross, but it helps me drink my water because Corinne, I am the same way. Like I'll go to all day without, without drinking something. So I bought a water bottle. And I put things in it, so I'll drink it. Do
1: you not own a Soda Stream? What are you doing? Dang it, that's a really good idea. I don't know why I didn't do that.
0: Okay, this is the most relatable part of this entire (laughs) podcast. I'm so glad that you all probably at home also, if you have tips or tricks in how we can drink more water, please slide into our DMs. Let us know how we can consume more fluid during the day because we're a bunch of shriveled, dried up, dehydrated humans otherwise. And I think what we're going to do to kind of round things out Um, now that you guys hopefully are excited to sit down with a piece of paper and, and write down your goals for 2022 or 2025 or whatever it might be. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear about your goals. Maybe if you, if you want to name your goal to someone and you're too scared to tell your friend or you're too scared to tell your significant other or your coach yet, shoot us a DM. Tell us what your big scary goal is. Like, we'll, we'll listen to them. We'll think they're super cool. Maybe they'll inspire us to do something that's, challenging and outside the box. So um, continue to do that. But I think to round things up before we let you go today is a little society slam. And I think Hilly is really, really excited to bring back the owl conversation. So we're going to let her take the floor first.
2: Okay. This is just really funny. Cause I just got, I got a DM from someone, a uh, follow-up because we were confused. We thought it was the ponytail for the owls, but apparently people, you know, who don't have ponytails, guys are getting attacked by owls. Apparently this is a very, this is a problem. So someone told me that they DM me and said a way to deter predators, not just owls, but predators like pumas and other things is that you need to sew eyes.
1: Yep. On your yep. cap, yep. <laughs> like on the back of your
2: cap. Cause then they won't attack you. Cause they think that they're watch- watching you. So definitely in the back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's try it.
1: <laughs> yeah. This has been my idea for a while is to put a little face on the back of a, like yeah. a band or a buff or a hat or something, because yeah, that's how tribes, I think in Africa deter the cats.
2: Right. Like the, they'll they'll paint it right. Like mm-hmm. eyes and things on it. And so I want to get like the googly eyes that like move when you run. That'd be cool. <laughs>
0: I think that's awesome. Um, Keely, do you have, oh man, yours was kind of a, t- a Twitter thread stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there's a new study coming out of, um, Dr. Sealer's lab out of university of Agder looking at the, um, how endurance is affected by energy deficiency in female athletes, kind of looking at performance trends over time and how much training load these women are going through and all that. And it's a qualitative survey, um, or sorry, a quantitative survey, um, And he's having problems getting women in. And his tweet was actually very interesting because he's saying that globally 70% of Twitter users and Twitter is the medium of which he is, 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 um, showing this survey. 70% of Twitter users are men and 85% of his Twitter followers are also men. And his survey currently only is about 17% female out of a thousand athletes. And so, um, we really need to start spreading this stuff on different social media platforms. And so, um, I'll link to this survey in the show notes. I took it. Um, not sure if I'm supposed to say that, but, uh, it was a very interesting survey and I think it's going to answer some really cool questions for the sport. And so if you're a lady and you're interested in participating in the survey, uh, look for the show notes link. And, um, yeah, it's just an interesting topic. Like how do we make sure to be showing these surveys to equal men and women?
0: Very cool. Yeah. And for those of you who don't don't know Steven Seiler, he's a brilliant, um, researcher, uh, based out of Norway now. Um, but he's in a lot of the quantitative and qualitative research with the, with, um, with primarily with Nordic skiers, but he's, he's brilliant. He's a good follow on Twitter as well. And then my, um, little piece of sidey slam, today was um, we got a really positive response to our last episode with Logan Williams, who friend of the pod. So, so happy that he was willing to share his story with us. And some of the most impactful things I have seen from it, DMs, um, shout outs on Twitter have been that people are feeling really like it's making them think they're, they're recognizing these patterns in themselves. They're feeling seen, they're feeling heard. And also that it's giving them the courage um, or the comfort to have these conversations or share these conversations with their family, with their friends, with significant others. So, um, that means so much to us. That means I think that means so much to Logan. Um and I like, I have goosebumps right now, thinking about it. Um, but I think it's just it's that's really important to us. Like I think it's really cool that 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 Logan story resonated with so many of you. Um, And I hope it provided you a place, an opportunity to pause and to reflect and to um, also feel seen and heard. So just very, very cool. Um, We hope to do more interview shows, actually not in the distant future. So I'm looking forward to that. So I think that's it for today. Continue to slide into our DMs. Um, Hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram. We're just excited to continue this conversation down the road.